Hello, and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Devine, and I'm joined today by Seb Stafford Bloor. Hello, Joe. Hello. Uh, come closer, a little bit yeah, more, a little bit, bit closer. I'm, I'm afraid of all the breathing. Thing. You're afraid of the you know, breathing. We've been over uh, it. Yeah, yeah it's, I was chastened by all the comments. It was my fault. It's nothing to do with Seb's breathing. In fact, Seb's the only non-smoker in the room. Yeah. So oddly enough, his breathing should be. I should not sound like Darth Vader. No, no. it should be much better. Um, and uh, Alex Stewart. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> Good. Your hair betrays. <laughs> the state of your weekend. <laughs> yeah, lovely enough said. Uh, anyway, I don't like to uh, start podcasts with anything other than Wisp Beginning, but um, many, many people have mentioned uh, Spotify to us. And I just want to take this opportunity at the beginning where most people will hear it uh, to say, yes, 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 yes. Uh, unfortunately, it's not that straightforward. Uh, some of you will know that we host our podcasts with SoundCloud, who are currently, I believe, maybe the only uh, podcast ho- uh, host uh, service in the world that doesn't have uh, straight into Spotify. So we are in the process of discussing it with them, also uh, talking about moving somewhere else. We have submitted the feed ourselves to Spotify. It doesn't really work like that anyway. So there's nothing we can do about it right now. But we are doing something about it, and we recognise that people, you know, love Spotify. And why wouldn't they? It's a wonderful service. Okay. Um, <laughs> Was that your bid to have our link approved no, for coffee? No, just, just saying, you know, yeah. if you see the link and you happen to work for Spotify, please, please, you would be saving me a lot of time and it's a stress. Podcast. You know, it's, it's a popular it's podcast. Intro. It's a really popular it's podcast. Really popular. And we're a small team. It's the other, I don't want to carry on for this too too long mm. i think sometimes people get a, a different impression because uh, our output is so professional guys but uh, it, we really are a small team and uh, last week when we did the podcast uh, said technical issues caused me to have a 15 hour long day uh, which i don't want to have ever again so uh, you know we respond to things as quickly as we can yes spotify is uh, high up on the priority list anyway that's boring what's not boring is leicester city football club and that's the team that we will be discussing today. It feels like an apt time to be talking about them. Uh, Brendan Rodgers is now the new manager, which is something that I think we can discuss with interest. Uh, it's an unusual one. Uh, Claude Puel, of course, we can discuss his departure. There's a little bit of uh, financial fair play stuff we're going to talk about. Not in depth, it's just interesting. Um, there's a lot of young players at the club we're going to discuss as well. Uh, and um, I think the main theme for the for the show and for Leicester generally at the moment is discussing, you know, as, uh, as Seb said to me before the podcast, the idea of what success is for Leicester, because obviously 2015-16 uh, was uh, a modern fairy tale, really. I mean, it sounds kind of a cliche to describe it in that way, but it's still funny to think about now, you know. Um, so we, we will uh, we'll have a think about that as well. Um, but let's begin with uh, Brendan Rodgers and, and Claude Puel. Um, Seb, in your estimation, I mean, it's a difficult one whether it was right or not to, 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 to lose Puel. He didn't necessarily do anything obviously wrong. Res- results weren't terrible. Um, and as well, we'll come on to talking about this a little bit more, but Brendan Rodgers is, is an, an odd appointment given the way that we know or you know the style of play that Leicester have become synonymous with uh, which is very very different to the style of play which Brendan Rodgers is uh, is infamous for um what was the problem with with Claude Puel for you I don't think it was any um any one individual problem I think it was kind of a, a confluence of issues uh, maybe first and foremost his personality is difficult um we, we sort of exist in a, a, a football culture where um managers are personalities and characters and, and Puel is a very quiet man I mean he 
I mean, his press conferences are almost, um, they're almost parodies. He's so quiet that quite literally, if you, if you don't sit in the first, second or third row of, of the press conference itself, you, you can't hear what he's saying. Um, but obviously, I, you know, the results were very mixed. Um, he, this season specifically, he, he didn't take the domestic cups seriously enough. They lost on penalties to Manchester City in the League Cup. Anyone can do that. Um, but he played a weakened side. I saw them at Wolves and he played a weakened side there. Um, they went out to Newport, which is not a good look for a Premier League team. Um, and so for a, for a, a club that, um, like anybody else in their position, should really be targeting domestic cup competitions, it's quite dispiriting for the fans. Mm. If, you, if you know you're not going to finish in the top four um, and then you not throw the, the, um, the, the domestic cups, but if you, if you, if you deprioritize them, that's a... That's quite antagonistic, and it's antagonistic to a lot of the the more traditional fans who 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 enjoy that. Well, they were un- unlikely to be relegated. Right? Yeah, yeah, and, and and we know that. I mean, I suppose it's worth pointing out that the the higher up the league you finish, the more you make from the, the broadcasting income. But yeah. is it? Yeah, I don't know. Is it worth throwing away uh, the chance at a at a, at a trophy run for the sake of? three extra positions and probably about five million pounds given that the loser of the premier league i think earns over 100 million now yeah i mean it's 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 an argument which needs context of course it does but in my opinion no um but puel um leicester i've watched them a few times this season in person and the the thing i take the thing i took from all of those games was they are just you cannot form a single opinion about them or at least you you couldn't under puel because Minute to minute, you could be watching a team who were either very impressive, who played some very neat, stylish football, a side who could not get through uh, half without shooting themselves in the foot with a defensive error, or you know, or one of his baffling selections. I, I think Puel Puel made a rod for his own back with the Vardy situation. I mean, Vardy Vardy's on record as saying that he found Puel's style of play, his sort of tactical approach, difficult to adjust to, and because of what Jamie Vardy's linked to. I mean, he is obviously one of the tenants of the championship win. If you alienate him, it's not quite Rude Hullett and Alan Shearer, but it's not a million miles away from it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, a, that's a PR angle. It was, it was for a long time for yeah. Puel. Um, and it felt like, uh, I think this felt inevitable from the moment they lost to Newport County. I, I think it's very hard to survive that kind of result. Can I ask about uh, Puel specifically and his personality? Because yeah. there's been a, a lot of discussion about him, not just uh, at Leicester, but previously at Southampton yeah. as well. Um, he, he's not very charismatic, and that's no. something that, that comes across, that comes across uh, rather blatantly. You mentioned already that you know if you're in a press conference, yeah. if you're not that close to the front, you can't even really hear him. Yeah. Do you believe in you know the modern day Premier League, or you know it's expanded to European football at the top level? Is it required? Is it is it a part of the manager's job to be able to, if not be you know super charismatic, at least avoid getting in a position where your inability to communicate in a way that invigorates uh, the press or your players becomes the story as opposed to uh, anything else? Yeah, I, I think it is, but I, I I would refine that a little bit. I, I think what's important is that a manager has an identity. This is a this is an age of ideologues. Uh, managers have to stand for something at least. If, if they're to, to earn a place in the kind of the, the discussion which surrounds the game, then they have to belong to a specific church in the kind of the tactical sense. I think one of Puel's problems is a, a, a PR issue in the sense that you don't really know what he is or what he represents. I mean, depending on how much you're willing to read and, and research, you know, for instance, that he's had a lot of success with young players, which is presumably why he was appointed by Leicester in the first place. They have a 
know, a, a glut of very talented young players, then which they've added to since he arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, but Puel is almost he he as a result of this kind of quiet persona, and you know, let's let's remember he when he talks, he's talking a second language. So you always have to remember that and always have to forgive that. Um, not, forgive is the wrong word, but you, under, you understand what I mean. You, you have to you have to take that into account. Yeah. Um, but I think he, what is he as a manager? Um, it's, it's because of who he, because of how he presents himself and because he isn't, um, you know, he isn't a figure of any great bombast. He doesn't have a lot of charisma. He doesn't, he doesn't say controversial things in front of the media. Um, you just, he, he's almost a hollow man. Um, and for a lot of fans compared with the kind of personalities that dominate other clubs and which those clubs kind of cluster around the strong personality at a football club. Um, becomes the football club itself. They they become interchangeable, and that's that hasn't been the case with um, with Puel at Leicester or at Southampton, which uh, Alex is a Southampton fan, so maybe he's the better place to to answer that. Yeah, I, I remember when um, Puel was was signed by Southampton from Nice, and he brought with him Jeremy Pierre, um, who was a sort of utility right back, right midfielder. Um, who was a player of, of a reasonable quality, but a, a friend of mine, Arno, who's French, who followed Ligue 1 um, very thoroughly, said that one of the reasons that Puel brought someone like Pierre across was not just because he knew him as a player, but because Pierre was kind of the, the mouthpiece for Puel in the Nice dressing room. And, and obviously, I take your language point, but you know, in France, that's not going to be a problem. It was it was felt that he needed somebody in the dressing room to be his guy, to to put forward his ideas, to advocate for him, to to kind of almost be his personality within that context. And I think if, you know, Leicester are a, a team, that, and I think this is probably less the case at Southampton, but Leicester is a team with strong personalities. You you know, people mm. like Vardy, Schmeichel, um, Schmeichel Wes yeah. Morgan, you know, these are not just long-standing professionals but in in many instances professionals who've kind of had to make their own way a lot you know they've not had particularly someone like Vardy or Morgan has not had success handed to them and there was a sense when Leicester won the league title that Ranieri was kind of greasing the wheels but a lot of not necessarily the decision making but the kind of mentality of the squad was generated within the squad and and not necessarily by Ranieri. And part of what Ranieri brought to that was a kind of laissez-faire attitude of, well, you you know, you guys, I trust you to get on with it. If a squad is set up like that with those sorts of personalities in it, and then you get, like Seb says, the hollow man coming in, then there's going to be an issue there because a hollow man is not a kind of an avuncular encouraging figure it can come across as dour, it can come across as almost at times disinterested. And I say this as a, a Southampton fan who had Puel managing them and was quite encouraged by that appointment for, you know, reasons that Seb mentioned. There's, there is a strong track record of development of youth players, for example. And I thought this, this might work well, but actually <coughs> there, there just never felt to be that kind of connection, that engagement that, that I think you need between a manager and a squad and a manager and fans and a manager and the identity of the club. And I don't think he quite brought that ever. What, what are uh, Claude Puel's ideas, Alex? Because you mentioned the idea of him needing a, uh, needing a man in the dressing room to, to convey those. But as, as Seb said before, it's, it's been difficult at times to really interpret what 
what that was. Yeah, and and I, it's a question that I struggle to answer even now. Yeah, um, I uh, certainly at Southampton he was he was partly brought in to add defensive solidity, um, which he did. I think we had in that season a, a record of eight nil nil draws in that season, which was league leading um, in a bad way. Um, I think there's also, uh, I mean, w- when he was at Nice, he played a fairly attractive 4-3-3. Um, but then at Southampton and again at Leicester, you know, it was much cagier, much more defensive. And, and I kind of felt like, uh, you know, I want to go out and <laughs> shoot the builders. Um, it's, it's this is very- weeks, by the way. We, 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 we appreciate and love the work of all builders. Yeah. But when they're near your face for weeks on end it's not great um so yeah i i i I really would struggle to say what his tactical identity is yeah even his preferred system is difficult to answer okay yeah alex i because i because i remember i watched quite a bit of that southampton side and i i was aware of his um his record for defensive solidity to me it just seemed as if um instead of improving the actual caliber of the defense and the defensive unit you just implemented this incredibly negative style of play. Mm. The point where even, even when attacking moves would develop, they would, they would crawl forward at a sort of glacial pace. Yeah. And so instead of actual, I mean, in, in, my, in my book, um, defensive solidity is a, is a kind of, is an evaluation of, of a back six. Whereas I always saw him as someone that created the conditions for, throughout his entire side, whereby there was never any possibility of a counterattack. Um, or becoming exposed to a counterattack. Yeah, he, it was just it, it was it was it was almost kind of it was the cheating version of defensive solidity, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I think there's some grounds to say that. I mean, he he didn't like his team to counterattack. That's for sure. No, no, I mean in the I sense think, that he he wanted to make sure his team were never exposed to the counterattack. Yeah, is, well, I, yeah. I, th- I think that's true. Uh, I mean, the odd thing about that Southampton side was that the the creation of chances wasn't actually a massive problem um the conversion of chances was a horrific problem and it and it persisted when um pellegrino took over as well um it was the same issue you know defensively sound a bit ponderous certainly but chances were created no one scored them um, Same under Mark Hughes, though, right? I mean, yeah, it, goals it's, it's, was well, we should also point out that uh, uh, you know Les Reed has also lost his job for good reason. The recruitment was not good enough, and no, and, and and you know, there's there's glaring issues with particularly say if you look at central defence, yeah, um, and that's why I think uh, Hassan Hootel's been playing three at the back. It's not because it's a system that he's completely familiar with or completely. Uh, in favour of it's because none of those centre backs are convincing, and and Virgil Van Dijk can mask the inadequacies of his colleagues for only so long. And obviously, you know he's been left, and it's now Yoshida, Stevens, Vestergaard looks like he could be okay. Bednarik played okay um, over the uh, yeah. last week. Bednarik is is uh, he's a really interesting player. You know, he yeah. I think he has the potential to be to be very talented, but. Um, Again, positional issues, and and you could you could see someone like Bednarek, uh, and I watched uh, recently. I watched his performance against Arsenal back again for a, a thing that I was looking at, and there were just too many times where he went wandering and went went hunting for the ball when it wasn't there, and you kind of feel like you know a Van Dyke, for example, would have been shouting and saying, you know, no, stay here, L- let the midfield do that. So 
yeah, I, you know, there were recruitment issues with, with that Southampton side. And, but again, I think it's, it's difficult to see beyond sort of keep it tight and don't expose ourselves quite what Puel was wanting to do. And, and that, that is quite different to how he played at Nice. And I think that, you know, there is possibly as well that sense of, of a, a manager moving from Ligue 1 to the Premier League wanting to mitigate weakness rather than express strength, express yeah. creativity and attacking movement. Because, you know, it, it's, it's better for a team's overall performance not to ship goals than it is to kind of tear forwards and get exposed. I suppose from a Leicester perspective, what's probably frustrating is that you've kind of been a lot of investment in, well, not a lot of, a lot of faith placed in, in, sort of in attacking players. I think it's someone like Damari Gray who feels like he's been on the verge of becoming a really, really good player for two or three years now. Mm. So I've seen a lot of him at England on the 21 level. He's a fantastic player. Um, and you can imagine him becoming really destructive in the, you know, the top half of the league. You've, you brought in Madison as well, and, and uh, Tillemans has come in, and I, I think Ndidi, although a holding player, is a, an interesting player on the front foot too. So it's kind of like, it's, it's that sort of mismatch between what Puel is <clears throat> and what Leicester are trying to become, which I suppose, yeah, it, it probably underpins some of the, kind of the, the frustration Mm. Okay. Well, Puel is a thing of the past yes. now, as far as Leicester is concerned. And uh, the new manager, to my surprise, certainly, I, you know, I can kind of understand it in terms of a uh, seeking for uh, seeking uh, seeking a manager who has a certain credibility, maybe, um, aura. you know, an aura, uh, recognizable, you know. Um, but it's certainly an odd one, isn't it, Seb? I don't think it is, Joe. I I, I think it's very logical. I. I... So the first thing to deal with Brennan Rogers is Brennan Rogers, the man, um, who I don't. He's never come across as. I mean, he, he does come across as arrogant. I think he's more just quite an odd person rather than an arrogant one. Um, and obviously, he's a figure of fun because he believes in the sort of this this kind of positive reinforcement style of speaking. So he's he is prone to leaving the occasionally silly sounding soundbite uh, on the front pages, unfortunately. But as a as a coach, you look at what he represents, which is a um, a very good record with young players, um, a pass which includes um, fine counterattacking football, but also um, neat, attractive possession based football, and that's what Leicester are trying to become. And if you look at their transfer record over the past few years and the type of football that they've brought into the club, or or even as recently as as January, you don't bring in a Yuri Tillemans. Uh, if your intention is to remain a purely counter-attacking side, a, a kind of in the, the Ranieri sense, that it's not going to be a long ball, long drink water ball over the top, and a Mares Navardi, and a you know a, a, a breaking approach. It is mm. they want to control the ball, um, and I, I I think also I look back on the Puel months, years, not years, but you know his time at the club. And I think if you look at the amount of errors in the side and the amount of mistakes which have led to the concession of goal or concession of goals or the dropping of points, Rogers is someone who particularly young players in the past have reacted very well to and been emboldened by. And you could potentially have huge growth from that squad because it's full of really promising footballers. If you mm. if you can if you can harness all the good in Rogers and you can avoid the sort of the the bad embodied by his kind of his final months at Liverpool, 
It could be an excellent appointment. It could be a brilliant mm. one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I feel I must apologise again for... I feel like we're recording a podcast from inside of the Stomp musical. Uh, you know, <laughs> just a little bit less uh, rhythmic. Uh, can, I, can, I have a, can, I, can I have a bit of a shout at someone? Unfortunately, there's nothing we can do, really. I mean... I, I think this constitutes more than normal noise, personally. Uh, well, maybe, but we're in the middle of a podcast. And, I, that's uh, true. Yeah, no but way. we could make it really entertaining by one of us going out and having a bit of a... <laughs> could, it could branch it's out. If, you, if, you, if, if we took one of the cameras off its tripod and just followed that in the kind of one reality of the, one TV. One of the comments on last week's podcast was something like, this is shit, it's just three posh boys sitting around talking that's about right. it. We mustn't encourage those beliefs by shouting can, at builders. Can you yeah. imagine how much he hates that, that he's been bracketed with you and yeah. I? I mean, I really I love that. Just love to it. be clear, I'm incredibly poor. Yeah. <laughs> These two, it's a different story. Yeah, he's, different he's, story. He, he, Joe, Joe was actually at school with both of us. Um, <laughs> all the way through from 7 to 18. Well, so the school he, of hard knocks. Were you he, there too? Exactly that. He's a yeah. fully, fully paid up member of the Hyphen Club. Someone uh, on the, on the it might, was it a podcast? It might have been a video. Someone left a comment the other day saying, uh, the first bit was nice. The first comment was very nice. Someone said, oh, love this guy's voice. I thought, oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. And then someone replied, yeah, Eton alumni potentially. Absolutely. Disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting. I mean, that's yeah. you, isn't it? Yeah, Didn't yeah. you go yeah, there? I did indeed. Didn't you go to some e- Eton ripoff? Uh, no, I, I went to Eton's yeah. rivals, okay. Winchester. Well, well, we, we perceive them Let's to be stop rivals, discussing maybe. both of your privileges. Because okay. yeah. uh, we'll, you're he, the one who brought it up. He, he thinks that sort of, if we do that, then by association. It'll alienate people. Exactly, yeah. 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 What did I say about not all talking at the same time? Posh people cannot be corralled. Now, shush. Uh, Alex, <laughs> yeah, talk to me about Brendan Rodgers mm. because I'm surprised by Seb. We didn't talk to Seb about this beforehand. I was, I thought he'd say it was as weird as I thought it was. Tactically speaking, I mean, we get the, I, I understand the idea of wanting to shift. Uh, I understand the idea of wanting to shift, right? And I remember when, to a lesser degree, a recent example is when Southampton, going back to them again, employed Mark Hughes, or particularly when Stoke employed Mark Hughes as an idea of moving away from the Tony Pulis era, mm. moving into the. Uh, the possession-based game, slightly more attacking, blah, 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 you know. It just seems so odd with Leicester, I think, because they were so so successful with that system, and yeah. particularly with the players that, that were uncovered, um, that it seems almost like the end of an era if, they, if, they're, if they're to do that. How is it going to work? Yeah, so I, I, I watched the, um, the Watford game, and obviously it's very, very difficult to base an assessment of what's going to happen on one game. Um, it's not very difficult, it's impossible mm. and also stupid however i'm going to do it a little bit um i i agree in principle with everything that seb has said in terms of there is a nucleus of players there and particularly if you look at who scores kind of metrics for players and how they rate them um the the top six for leicester are all 25 years old or younger uh, and that's Pereira, madison and Didi, uh maguire chilwell and tillamans that is a really, really exciting nucleus of players. Then you've got people like Damari Gray, you've got Harvey Barnes. So Chowdhury, I put in Chowdhury is really Hamza interesting. Hamza Chowdhury yeah. could be really interesting. So yeah. there's there's definitely a group of players who I think are, they're not just talented, but they are young enough to impose a different style on. And I think this is crucial. You're not going to teach Wes Morgan to be a cultured striding forwards defender. Like that, that ship has sailed. Arguably, Johnny Evans, not so much either. But two of the three key cogs for that title-winning side have gone. So mm-hmm. Drinkwater was kind of the quarterback supplying these fantastic long passes. He's no longer there. 
they don't need that now so much. Um, Tillemans is much more about the angled slide rule along the ground pass, which, you know, Vardy will benefit from, but he's a different style of player. Mares, those incisive runs, well, Madison can do it a bit, Barnes can do it a bit, but they don't need to play that way so much now. What about think, Kante? We're not including Kante? Um, yeah, but I think, I think Kante was crucial in that system because him winning the ball back was what allowed Leicester to then counterattack. And if Leicester are going to shift across to a more possession, possession-based style... Ndidi is a very capable defensive yeah. midfielder. They've also got um, Mendy who can step into that role if required. Mm-hmm. But they don't need somebody who is quite so aggressive in hunting the ball if they're going to look to be holding onto it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what was interesting about the Watford game were, were two things, uh, three things to me. Firstly, the number of sloppy mistakes Leicester made. Um, you know, little interchanges of passing that didn't come off, misplaced balls... Is, was, that, is that potentially part of, of playing with a back three, you know, for the second time? Yeah, I think, I think it was only said. the second time. And, and there certainly was, there was a, a passage of play after about 20 minutes where they, they sort of tried to, to pass it out from the back and it just mm. <laughs> went horrifically wrong. Mm. Um, but they showed a, a willingness to try things, which was interesting. Um, their best attacking moments to me came from uh, switch passes um, where the ball would be moved very quickly from one flank to the other to one of the wing backs who would then pull it back across all the way across to the other wing back who would then drill a low cross in and, and Pereira and Chilwell combined really well a few times to do this. That is not classically Rogers to me. So I think there will be a period of transition where this kind of direct style which Leicester can play will be gradually eased out. Um, I mean, Brendan Rodgers is very associated with a 4-2-3-1, with the creation of overloads, uh, using a, a, a an inside forward who tucks in, overlapping fullbacks. Um, in his first season at Celtic, Tierney pushed really, really, really high on the left. Uh, Lustig much less so, but this season he's had Tolian on loan from a Bundesliga club, I can't remember. Um, and they were hyper-aggressive fullbacks, almost playing as wingbacks. So, mm. you know, that that's what he likes to do. There were aspects of what Leicester was seeking to do against Watford that kind of chimed with that, even using a three at the back. Um, I think the other thing to say quickly on a tactical basis is that although we associate Vardy with a certain style of play, I think Vardy is a more intelligent football than than people give him credit for. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't think that Vardy will be, you know, kind of uh, isolated by a possession style of football. Rodgers had a lot of success using Dembele as a very, very quick, very aggressive forward at the tip of the possessional spear. So I think Vardy can adapt easily. I mean, even thinking about uh, teams such as Arsenal with players like Aubameyang, if they're on the back foot, they, you know, you you do see teams who like to play with the ball, who have um, line-breaking strikers, you know, on the shoulder, running in behind. It does happen. It it, it definitely happens. I agree. I would extend the point about Vardy to say not only is he more intelligent than people give him credit for, but just generally, I think he's better than people give him credit for. Some of the goals that he scores are, like from angles that are unbelievable. Yeah, I I mean, he's obviously a quality finisher. He's extremely quick. He's very, very hardworking. But I think what you also have with uh, the, the, the particularly 
Madison dropping into that tennis slot, Barnes moving up and down, almost a little bit like Delafeo plays at, at Watford, you know, kind of sort of a winger, sort of an attacking midfielder, sort of a striker. Vardy has the intelligence and the, the pace and also the stamina to keep making runs to create gaps for those players to move in. Yeah. And if Leicester don't adopt that kind of slightly more possessional, slower build-up, which requires that interchange, you've always got a, an angled ball from Tillemans or a crossfield pass from Pereira, who is a class actor at right wing-back. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, Vardy's not going <clears> to <throat> suddenly forget how to play off the shoulder and be yeah. the, the one man running through one-on-one with the goalkeeper. Yeah. So, you know, I, th- I think Leicester could be really, really well set. It will be a period of transition, though. No, no, I, I was just, I was nodding in agreement. This is part of our communication issue. Oh, I see. I, just, uh, I, ignored, I ignored the diktat about not speaking at the same time. So I'll just, I'll lean back into my chair. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so in terms of the transition then, because there, there will be one we've discussed already, even from early examples of the game with, with, with Watford, um, there were some struggles. Um, and of course, we expect um, that Brendan Rodgers will try to transition the side over a period of time into a team that does things like plays up from the back, holds onto the ball more. A very different style of football to the one that we've come to associate with Leicester. In our experience of, of watching this happen, uh, other, other Premier League teams, how long does this sort of process take? I mean, particularly within... Mu- they should, the builders are shushing themselves. Um, Whilst dropping huge iron bars <laughs> on the floor, yeah. So. It really is like a cartoon. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's fun. Maybe I should stop mentioning it because there's a chance I can edit out the background noise. People might just wonder what on earth we're talking about. Maybe, but you, not, maybe you're just hearing things and there are no builders. That could be yeah, it too. Yeah. yeah, it wouldn't be the first time. Um, what was I even saying? We're talking about how long it takes for something, for a new ideology That's to right. take seed. Yeah. I don't think there's a there's a definitive timeline, Joe. I think it depends on a few variables. Certainly, um, when you add in things like trying to play out from the back, generally that complicates matters. Mm-hmm. We we saw Arsenal really struggle with it at the beginning, um, even with with you know Petr Cech and the, the sort of the very I, I remember he's had. Manchester United under Louis Van Gaal trying to play out from yeah. the back and it just being it, excruciating. It, it never stopped. I mean, there was never a point. There was never a, a tipping point with that. So you don't know. I, I think I think for Rogers. Uh, a few things. I mean, um, if you if you're going to play that way, are you going to um, are you going to rebuild your defence? Um, we Alex spoke earlier about Wes Morgan never potentially um, evolving to become a kind of a, a great striding Beckenbauer of a centre half. That's not going to happen. Maybe Wes Morgan is also reaching the end anyway. Well, he's quite old. Exactly, and he's yeah. you know nothing he does now is going to tarnish his legacy. He is a you know a Leicester immortal, quite rightly. Um, I wonder whether also there needs to be a, a general overhaul of some of the, um, the the stranger parts in this squad. What is what are you doing with someone like Kelechi Iheanacho, for instance, who I really liked as a young player, and I thought when when Leicester signed him, that's a fantastic bit of business. Not so much; it just it it hasn't really worked. Mm. Um, so, what do you do with an asset that's declining in value but still has a value? So, weird little decisions like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I I think. Um, I mean, if you look at Pochettino at Spurs, that took a good six months before his ideas became accepted by the fans, but also but also manifested in performance. Um, Klopp at Liverpool is another example. I mean, people may pretend otherwise now, but the first season there wasn't pretty. There were signs of what was to come, but certainly by season two and season three, um, 
they 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 had become definitively his team in a way which previously they weren't. They mm. were just a kind of hodgepodge of what had happened before, mistakes in the transfer market, ill-suited players doing a kind of imitation of the players they actually needed to be to work under him. So it's going to depend on what Leicester do in the market, how they finish the season, um, how the players respond to Brendan Rodgers the person, because right. uh, this process is always defined by the kind of the, the human connections. Sometimes Rodgers has had, um, Rodgers has, has worked very well with young players. Sometimes he hasn't had a connection with older players, like most famously, and I suppose anomalously, Mario Balotelli and him did not have a yeah. spectacular relationship. Christian Benteke and him, despite him being a kind of a Rogers sponsor signing, that didn't work either. So he falls out with some players. He reacts very well with others. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Let's see how the kind of the human dynamics within the dressing room well, work a, first. A quick note on that, yeah, um, because we've already discussed the idea of Jamie Vardy being very influential yeah. at Leicester City. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were Brendan Rodgers, yeah. let's just imagine that for a moment. Yeah. Um, what do you do with Jamie Vardy? I mean. Presumably, you get him on side or you get rid of him, right? Yeah, but absolutely. But then I, 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 I think it's an easier decision than that, Jack, because Jamie Vardy is still a huge asset. Like, he is 32. A lot of his game relies on, on pace, and there is an endpoint there. But at the moment, there's not a. Jamie Vardy isn't, isn't going to be done a favour by Brendan Rodgers by, by, by starting him. He is still the best centre forward at the club by a long way, and also the only centre forward at the club who's capable of playing in that way. So. As long as Jamie Vardy is being picked and scoring goals, Jamie Vardy will be happy, I'd have thought. It was seeded all over the Sunday papers from, from Rogers that, that Vardy will be crucial to everything I do at Oh, Leicester. I see. Of course. Okay. So, yeah. so the, the, the PR war has already begun mm. in that regard. Um, and Look at you reading the Sunday papers. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Some hilarious vigils attached to that. Just, uh, you know, just, <laughs> yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, there's... There is an extent to which if you get a, a player on side like that, you know, the, the, the talismanic effect of Troy Deeney at Watford, for example, um, you know, not just a, a great player um, who does his role very, very capably, but also a kind of a driving force. And if, if Rogers is as sensible and astute at man management as he has the reputation of being, then it'll be very much going to Vardy and saying, you are my point man for this transition. You know, you you and Kasper Schmeichel particularly, you understand the club in a way that I don't. You've seen it through You make me success, happy when times are grey. Uh, tragedy, etc. Mm -hmm. You know, you you are gonna be the the guys that spearhead this transition and and help me guide all of these young players through what is not just a, a kind of a leadership transition, but also a tactical one. Mm -hmm. Um I noticed actually that uh Leicester signed uh, and I'm never ever going to pronounce this guy's name correctly. Um, Kaglar Soyuncu, mm. um, who's a Turkish centre back who was at Freiburg, and he actually is the sort of centre back that will be able to play in that system. So I think that's that's an astute Leicester signing that had kind of mm. passed me by. Actually, okay. Um, I looked at him in the summer for something, and he he was really quite impressive. He's a bit hot headed, mm. but he could be very, very good. And yeah. So that so that that evolution, and, and I'm not saying that Leicester were were thinking about this sort of thing way way back, but they they've started to get their their playing squad ducks in a row ahead of this transition, which I think is quite intelligent. They probably were thinking about it that long way. I mean, they've got um, 
John Ruckin is still the sporting director there. And he's been, I think he's been at the club since 2003, 2004. He, he came in as, a, I think, head of the academy. Um, and he's he's stayed there. He's kind of um, progressed up the ladder. And he's been sort of a constant for decade and a half there so you know there is a lot of continuity in their um in their recruiting system sorry sorry the, the, the builders are now hoovering <laughs> right okay uh sorry like i'm really thrown off um does someone want to tell me about brendan rogers at celtic quickly we haven't re- we've been touched on it we haven't really discussed it M- maybe the interesting thing there is is maybe the reaction of the celtic fans to brendan rogers leaving. yeah mm-hmm. and it's kind of this issue that never goes away between this 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 kind of almost this contradiction between yes Celtic being a very big club historically and with an enormous fan base and a big ground and very successful, but also the lure of a upper mid table Premier League side. The, re- the reaction is what? So after Brendan Rodgers left, uh, uh, the, the the very next game, um, the Celtic fans um, unveiled a, a banner saying. Uh, I can't remember the, the specific wording, but basically it included the word fraud and well, I felt it was harsh. It's, it, that would explain the numerous uh, comments in the, oh, right, uh, the okay. questions <laughs> regarding it's, it's the fraud. Fraud. So <laughs> essentially when, when Rogers came to the club, um, he, he said, you know, I, I grew up in a Celtic supporting family. It's a dream. I'm going to be here to, you know, win the 10 titles in a row, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there's a sense that as soon as somebody showed him a bit of ankle, he was out the door mm. straight away without blinking. Um, and David Walsh's piece in the Sunday Times said, you know, he didn't even say goodbye to people when he left. I don't know whether that's true or not, but um, I think there's a sense that he, I think people are naive to expect enormous amounts of loyalty in football nowadays and I think you know if you're a Premier League side and he has been a Premier League manager when that opportunity comes up again he would obviously take it mm. but, you know I think the issue is what he said when he took the Celtic job gave the impression that he would not have his head turned by anybody which mm. is possibly naive on his part and it's very difficult to gauge whether he believed all of that at the time that he said it or he was saying it to to get on side with the fans, who knows? But um, you know, if you're if you're Brendan Rodgers, this move uncontrovertibly makes sense. I, I mean, I, I wonder. I mean, if Brendan Rodgers turns up at your football club, you know, there's an expectation right from day one that he is going to say things. He is going to say things which perhaps don't bear scrutiny. So he comes in and he talks about um, you know this being the. I think he referred to the job as being the ultimate job, and it just being that they couldn't. He could not possibly be any happier anywhere else. But then, at the same time, this stuff, this stuff works both ways. If Brendan Rodgers has a bad six months, they kick him out the door. It doesn't mm. matter mm. whether he was a fan. It doesn't matter what his familial uh, allegiances were and what he um, inherited from his father. Um, and also, what beyond three years, what is... Okay, the treble treble. I understand that and the appeal of that. What is, what is, what, what is Brendan Rodgers' motivation for remaining at Celtic beyond this place? Isn't... Don't get me wrong, if, if I'm a Celtic fan and he walks out on me, I'm also having a mighty sulk on social media about it. I'm probably also holding up banners in my stadium. But rationally, what is, what is he, the individual, the guy with the CV, the guy that's trying to plot his career through the market, what is he gaining by remaining in, in Scotland? Three years is a pretty good return on mm. him. 
He's left the club in a very good condition. It's also worth noting, and this might be something worth revisiting in a few months' time, that um, by all accounts, Leicester would have waited for him until the summer, at which point the compensation due would have been far less. I think Celtic have made something around like six, seven million pounds out of him being bought out of his contract. So um, I wonder if there hasn't been a kind of a mutual decision somewhere that, right, this is the time for you to go. So maybe as much respect as I have for David Walsh and his writing, maybe it's a case of let's see what the Celtic angle on this was mm. i mean they, 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 that, that makes sense i mean celtic have done very well out of this they're in position to you know win all the things they were going to win previously they won over the weekend under neil lennon mm. fantastic um so I, i'm not sure whether we um we have full perspective on this yet mm. and and i think it's important for rogers because you know he's 46 but this is his sixth proper club managed now leicester after his work at, at chelsea in the academy and you know, Liverpool reached a kind of stylistic high point, but then fell away. And the SPL is, I mean, a job at Celtic is, is, a, is a weird job to take because obviously you're going to achieve success in terms of trophies because Celtic are so financially dominant in that league that it would be perverse to assume otherwise. In the same way that Champions League football aside, winning domestic competitions with PSG doesn't really count for very much mm. because obviously you're going to do it. So, you know, he's he's kind of adding to his CV in terms of, of time and in terms of things won and, and a certain style, but it's also going to be taken with a pinch of salt because it's being achieved in a league where everything is geared to that success occurring. So I think he... You know, he now sees an opportunity crucially to mould a, a very talented young squad to get them playing a certain kind of way. But in the league where, you know, he could be a professional football manager for another 20 years, mm -hmm. conce very conceivably. Yeah, there's a couple of things at work here. I think the way he left English football um, has instructed this because rather unfairly, he, he left as a standing joke. I mean, he is he is unreasonably blamed for Liverpool's failure to win that title in 2014. And then obviously um, his reputation was damaged by the aftermath of the sale of Luis Suarez and the, the nonsense that went on at Liverpool then and the, the, the collapse. The thing I liken it to actually um, in a kind of abstract way is Guardiola moving to Bayern Munich, not because they, they have a similar stature, but because he went into a club where they already had all the dominance that Alex spoke of. But he reinvented the way they played. So sort of the, the Celtic that won under Brandon Rogers was stylistically very different from what had come before. The, the trouble for him is that English football being as insular as it is and as arrogant as it is, no one cares. Yeah. And that's not fair. But that is just, that is the, unfortunately the way the vast majority of the English footballing public think. Mm -hmm. they're, just, they're, just, they're not interested. They, don't, mm -hmm. they see Celtic's name at the top of the league, at the top of the SPL in the, in the Sunday paper, and they think, ah, okay. I... I I think to a degree, but I also think that it's it's a lot easier to change the style and to develop players and play very attractive football when you're you know the team that's finishing second is paying of course a couple yeah. of grand a week to its most yeah. prized asset. And I think yes, I'd, I'd be the first to agree that English football is insular and arrogant and looks down on anything that's not English football. <laughs> At the same time. That doesn't necessarily mean that the, not criticisms of Rodgers, but the caveats around his performance at Celtic aren't also merited. And, you know, that's why the Champions League 
becomes the barometers for these sorts of clubs. And to be fair, it'll be a barometer for Man City as much as it is for Celtic, as much as it is for PSG, because, because league football will put up so many challenges. But when you get to a certain point, whether it's in disparity of ability, disparity of finances, disparity of playing staff, it's, it's against the other really, really great teams that have similar advantages that you actually get tested. And, and Rodgers didn't develop in Europe. Oh, no, I, I'd agree. And I, I think that's the other, the other Guardiola parallel. It's kind of for everything yeah. he did in the Bundesliga. He showed a regression in Champions League football, or at least Champions League. The, the, the standard of the Champions League elite evolved quicker than he did with Bayern, which is mm. that's a that's wondering way off topic. And Joe had a hand up. So. <laughs> well, I'm going to move us on because we're, okay. we're running over a little bit, which also means we're going to skim over the financial fair play thing we were talking only because I would have dropped it, but we mentioned it earlier, right? Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. Or not, Seb. And I'm going to read from my computer so to attempt not to be wrong from the notes that I took earlier. Uh, this was, uh, God, I didn't even write down the date, but it was 2012, I believe. So they were still in the championship. Um, the issue at the time was that Leicester violated the financial fair play rules, which they, I think a year ago, were fined about £3 million for. £3.1 million. <laughs> Reached a settlement um, yeah. in February 2018. Okay, right. Um, so that's all. That's all fine. Uh, but the issue that they had at the time was certainly uh, the chairman and owners of other clubs were complaining about at the time was that the way in which they reduced what their overall losses that season were uh, from over 30 million to 21 million, which was the official figure for which they were sanctioned the fine, right, um, was quite unusual. Uh, and it's quite it's quite funny as well. Um, so the club they sold the name uh, naming rights to the stadium and the shirt sponsorship, which previously were owned by King Power, to uh, a global marketing company called Tristella, I believe that yeah. run by um, run by the son of Dave Richards, who used to be the chief executive of the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who then pretty quickly sold those rights and the uh, the sponsorship rights back to King Power mm-hmm. for eleven million pounds more than they were worth. Uh, just before that, they bought them. Yeah. Incidentally, it's worth pointing out that uh, it's very difficult to get any naming rights for a stadium in the Championship, and I think the average annual shirt sponsorship is less than a million. Uh, so the idea of a club earning at the time, at yes. the time, yeah. so the idea of a club at the time earning fifteen million for those things—that's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Um, and I mean, it, it certainly helped them get promoted. We're not, we're not, we're not here to point fingers because I don't think I there are. Stirring. I think, I think everyone has a few skeletons in their closet with FFP and and. Um, yeah, of course, I, just, I think, I, I think I, what's interesting. We is, should point it out though. It, we, we should point. It, 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 we, it, we can't just pretend. Well, it didn't obviously, happen. this is worth. This is worth saying, right? But ov- obviously, the 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 story of the club's owner is tragic of course, a- and yeah. sad. It's it is it is obviously very sad, right? Uh, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that we don't point out that that happened. No, of course, no. We're not. We're not. We're not. We're not trying to rake anything up. And for all, by all accounts, uh, this the matter is closed as of uh, a year ago. We've, um, do, we've done it with every other club. We've done it with. We have done it with every other club. You can go back to the pods and, and check. I, I think what what what, it, what interests me about this is is kind of um, David Conn uh, did a, a series of investigative investigative articles from about 2016 onwards. The Guardian journalist. The Guardian journalist David Conn, um, and the. Uh, he he sort of he, he dug into Trey Stella, which is <laughs> sorry for those listening. Maybe maybe people caught that on the camera, but my <laughs> microphone just fell. <laughs> my favorite thing about that as well is for people who are listening. What happened is is I've rigged up a a device, a weight a weighted device to hold up Seb's. Uh, uh, 
I forgot. microphone? No, it's not the microphone. It's the uh, the wind blower. The wind, the wind. The thing you put in... I can't... Why am I blanking on the name, Alex? I don't know. The, the thing... Well, they can see it. They, well, the, the, people the listening guard. can't see it. Wind oh, guard. Okay. A wind guard. Sort of Shield a wind guard. guard. Right? The, uh, so I've rigged up a weight device, which uh, stopped it from falling. However, it did just fall. And then the best bit was that instead of uh, speaking into the microphone, Seb continued to speak into the wind guard, which is no longer in front of the microphone. And now, now I can't rebalance it. Uh, how did I even do that? How did you do that? Push this? it all the way into the middle. This is great podcasting. No, 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 not the thing. Push the weight, the weight all the way as far as it will. There you go. Look at that. Just simple physics. So. FFP. FFP. Um... Trey Stella, uh, David Conn dug into to, to it, and it's a uh, company without a website, without a functioning office. No phone number. No phone number. Um, Apparently they don't need it. They don't need it because their reputation is good enough, which may be true. Um, it's just a very interesting story. I think um, we're, we're not here to pass judgment or to, to make assumptions or accusations. It's just, it's another example of, of, of sometimes how opaque football can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's part of um, it's part of Leicester's backstory. They have reached a settlement with the um, with the football league, and uh, they've paid their fine, and they've moved on. And I actually, at the time, um, they say that rather than breaking the rules, this was a an issue which amounted to a um, a, a difference in interpretation of the rules. Um, whether you want to, I, I have no comment to make about that. I just that's 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 the case as it was. I so, interpret that there is a loophole here. I, I, I think we exist in a post the Spiegel world mm-hmm. where um, you have this stuff which is a bit knick-knacky in, in, in comparison to other things which are going on above the food chain. So this yeah. is really just interesting rather than kind of, I wouldn't say that it's a cause it's of tipping. outrage. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. what is success for Leicester now? This is, the, this is where we've come to at the end of the podcast. We'll answer some podcast questions in a moment. Um, but what, was inter- what interested me, and in fact, I'll bring up some of the questions now, uh, because they feed into this into this theme, right? Uh, what is success for Leicester now? Many of the many of the comments suggest that because of the position that Leicester are currently in, that they are not currently successful, or that things are going terribly wrong, or you know uh, that uh, I can't talk because I'm looking at Seb. Um, what am I saying? This is this is an awful podcast. I'm saying that many people believe that Leicester are currently un- underperforming, but <clears throat> presumably partly because they won the league in such yeah. extraordinarily overperforming fashion uh, three years ago. That, I mean, that. to be mid-table with Leicester, to have the sorts of uh, the squad that they have, to have the money available that they, that they have, yeah. um, that's not really underperforming, is no, it? No, it, it's not. It's a question of perception. Underperforming. And, and it's exactly the sort of thing that we were talking about with Watford in the last podcast, and, and sorry, not the last, but the podcast before, and also Everton. You know, Leicester are in a position where they can start to develop a style. They can start to develop uh, a coterie of younger players, either who will be the foundation of the team for the next five years and see them to whatever their version of success is, or be turned for significant profits and mm-hmm. reinvested. You know, there is a good track record here of developing either from the academy or signing young and then developing. Uh, players, particularly English players. Well, let's put a value so, on it then, right? What what is success for them now? What would what would in your in your eyes well, be a successful season for Leicester? I, I think there's a group of uh, three or four teams currently, and I would include Watford, Wolves, probably Leicester, 
Everton, that sort of coterie who will be scrapping out for the the position beneath the top six. And to be the head of that pack is probably success. And I would chuck a cup competition in there as well. Kind of a, a deeper, more philosophical question here at work in that how do you deal with, once you've pushed through the wardrobe and you've walked around a little bit in Narnia, how do you deal with coming back through? Because that's what it is. It's a sort of Leicester won a, a Premier League title uh, as really part of a miracle. Now, once that's finished and you are back to kind of the humdrum of regular life where all the old sort of glass ceiling truisms exist and the kind of the, the restrictions placed on you by the wealth higher up the division, like how do you how do you settle back into kind of normal rational fandom? Um, it's very difficult. I, I I think it's a question which, I mean, depending on which Leicester fan you speak to, it has a different answer. Um, and so it will always depend on on what stage of that kind of that um, I, I I suppose reintegrate when when these fans return to their equilibrium of being. This is what we are. That has happened. It's been wonderful, but it's now in the past. I think it, it's a um, it's a very difficult thing because there aren't any precedents for it, really. I mean, you can look back. I mean, Blackburn wasn't a miracle. Blackburn spent a lot of money to to win their title, um, so there's no real comparable. I mean, even things like Wimbledon winning the FA Cup is not mm. vaguely similar. Really, Le- Leicester spent a fair amount of money. They did, but, but, but they they only became a Premier League side at the end of the. I mean, they got promoted at the end of the thirteen fourteen yeah. season. Mm-hmm. Well, the way to look at it is also not to say Leicester spent a lot of money in that short period. It's say Leicester beat out competition from teams who had spent the previous decade spending very very heavily, mm-hmm. season in season out, twice a year. Mm-hmm. That's the way, not to just look at. Figures that you know, twelve month figures or anything like that. It's it. Leicester are comparable in some ways to what Wolves have done. Wolves have probably spent more and and achieved it a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. But I would also say that we're not going to be looking at a situation in three years' time where Wolves have lifted the title. No. Uh, and mm. and if they have done that, which won't happen, they will have done it by spending huge amounts of money. Mm-hmm in a way that Leicester didn't actually do. I mean, the, the foundation of that they, Leicester They spent title, £100 million pounds over a couple of years. Right, but... But that deserves its context. That deserves its yeah. context. And, and also, the, 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 the key players of the title win were none of them expensive signings. No. Yeah, that's, that's a key point. So, yeah. you know, I, I, but I just think... It, it was a fairy tale, guys. It, it, was, it was a complete... I'm a Tottenham fan, it wasn't a fairy tale. <laughs> it was a complete anomaly. Mm. Um, and, it and, you was know, devastating. that's reflected in, in everything that's been said about it and written about it and okay, what was we've, happening at the time. We've got about eight minutes to answer some questions before the builders really start to do some drilling at midday. Uh, the first one I'm going to throw to you guys... I like this question. Uh, Sam Hardy... Were Leicester wrong to sack Ranieri so soon after winning the league? Did he deserve more respect for his achievements? Uh, the second part of the question. Is I, think, I think it's a really hard question to answer because it's just, this is the game. It doesn't, ultimately what Leicester had to guard against was the threat of relegation. And I think um, what's happened at Fulham in the last week is it kind of helps to provide some context here too, is that Ranieri has some limitations. And Alex spoke earlier about what role he, he played in that championship win. He, um, it was a great success for him in the sense that he knew his place and that he knew what to facilitate. But when, again, they came back through the, the wardrobe, then you saw sort of the, the issues which have, have blighted his career, had blighted his career all the way up until that point. So mm-hmm. it's, um, I, 
it it was sad. It was really sad, but it was understandable. Okay, Alex. Uh, Will Emmett asks, has Leicester City's squad improved since winning the title? That's a really tough one. Um, I think, I think it has in the sense that they've lost. They've lost a player that was key to the style but has gone on to do nothing in Drinkwater. Mm-hmm. They've lost two exceptionally talented, you know, arguably top 20 in the Premier League players. Um, but they have reinvested that money really astutely. Mm-hmm. Um, they have bought players and developed players who are very, very good. And if you were looking at the next five years, Leicester have got some fantastic younger players in that mix. Yeah. So overall as a squad... I think they probably have improved, despite losing. In a moment, I'm going to ask you uh, who could replace an ageing Jamie Vardy. But first, I'm going to ask Seb. Uh, Jungwoo Kim asks, does Leicester have a chance of challenging in the Champions League or the Europa League in the near future, or are they likely to be stuck in uh, mid-table? Europa League, possibly. Um, You know, Brendan Rodgers... What's the situation with the Europa League at the moment, though, in terms of finishing positions in the Premier League? Because I feel like that changes all the time. Well, I mean, in the future, it's going to be complicated by Europa League 2, which (laughs) I feel like that needs a little bit more branding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So depending on... uh, First of all, it it, it depends on each season who who wins the the League uh, League Cup and the FA Cup. I love that idea. Here's here's a second of a competition that uh, non-competing teams don't care about. Europa League 2. Well, the thing is, it's a critical revenue source for a lot of uh, you know, a lot of that's lot why of teams I, that's why I specified non-competing teams. Yeah, okay. I, I, listen, I, uh, I, I think it's very important. Leicester are more than capable of, of being competitive in the Europa League, uh, Europa League One. Um, depending on what happens between over the next eighteen months, what's invested, what you know, uh, what, what kind mm-hmm. of uh, synergy there is between them and their, 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 their first team squad and Brendan Rodgers. Champions League probably not. I think the Champions League. Um, I I don't see them qualifying for the Champions League. Uh, mm-hmm. That isn't to say that they're going to finish tenth each season. I think they they have an excellent chance of competing with that in that small sort of uh, group of clubs with Wolves and hopefully Everton at some point again. Okay. Um, and Watford. So they'll be um, they'll be they'll be. Uh, I think their, their their great aim is to be the uh, the the vanguard of that little group. Okay. Um, the question about Jamie Vardy, Alex, comes from uh, Vincent Yan, who I believe is the Dutch owner of Cardiff. Uh, will uh, also he also asks uh, will Ianacho ever be good enough? So I, I suppose that's a secondary to uh, Alex. Have you got any thoughts on who could replace an aging Jamie Vardy? Um, no. Okay, fine. Uh, Seb, will Ianacho ever be good enough? You mentioned him before, which is why I send this to you. I think he'll be a good player, but I don't think he'll be a good one for Leicester. Okay, how about that? Yeah, that's fine. Cop out, but... I, he's he's a really odd player in that. I don't think he's a forward. I think he's, a, he's I think he's sort of somewhere between a nine and a ten. I don't but, think and, he's a and it's forward. it's. I agree, and there's the kind of the Okazaki thing going on there. That that there's this sort of hybrid yeah. link. I think he'd do really well in the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. Okay, to, to a two part question. That's not an insult, by the way. No, no, a two part question from Darren Kennedy. The first uh, is uh, uh, who could who could Leicester recruit in the summer? The second is uh, well, it's more of a statement really, and followed up by a question from Darren. I believe Rogers' arrival will be very positive for the likes of Madison and Gray. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that they're far off uh, regular England call-ups? Uh, so part one, um, well, uh, objective A is Tielemans. Uh Something something strange about him is that um, I, I I'm, I'm a little suspicious because when he became available, his best option was Leicester. I mean, with all due respect, I mean sort of. A couple of years ago, he was the kind of player that should have alerted almost any side in Europe. And yet, um, I know Tottenham had an, an option on him, and they didn't 
they decided not an option, but they decided against signing him. Um, so it just it suggests there's a red flag somewhere. Um, I suppose the problem for Leicester now is that uh, if he plays very very well, um, that interest is going to reemerge and they're going to face some serious competition. Hopefully, mm. he is playing really well. He is, but it, it, it's early. I mean, he's, sure. he's he's he's. I I saw him at Wembley against Spurs and he was great. He had a good game yesterday. Played a very nice ball for Vardy's goal. Um, but let's let's wait and see on that one. Um, I think I, I'd want to see another centre half come in there, uh, another full time option to uh, full time partner for for Harry Maguire, uh, someone who also makes the idea of a back three um, more uh, not competent, but someone that can you know play out from the back. Um, okay. uh, Madison and Gray. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, Madison, yes, he'll be given a chance because he's thought of extremely highly by almost everyone at the FA. Damari mm-hmm. uh, Gray um, was a, a veteran of um, Eddie Boothroyd's England on 21 sides and uh, very highly thought of. Whether, um, I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot of alternatives in his position. I mean, not, not just Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford, but also now players like uh, Jaden Sancho. Yeah. Um, so he faces a, a bit of a, a tough task to... to um, to get to the the head of that list, but I I think he's a very very fine player at the moment. The only thing that should really match is become the sort of the the the, the ten goal a season player he can obviously be because he's very very talented. Mm. So okay, and uh, yeah, Rogers should be good for him. Flicking through flicking through the questions, uh, there are many um, uh, examples of the word fraud being used. Also, rat. I'd hate to go rat. back to I'd hate to go back to the uh, snake Rogers. gate of a couple of weeks ago. What is a rat? What is a snake? So let's move on to uh, Jesse Pays. How often will Brendan Rogers say hard work, character, intensity, and other manager cliches? Outstanding. Oh, that's a bit everywhere. Outstanding. Uh, before the season begins, I suppose that's a fun drinking game for people. Uh, do you enjoy that? Well, not one. I mean, it could kill you, given yeah, how many probably times. Would, probably <laughs> would kill fun Not me. a fun <laughs> drinking game. A uh, deadly drinking game. Chris Hughes says, is Brendan Rogers' move a step up, down or sideways? And what are your reactions to Chris Sutton's comments that the Celtic reserves are a bigger team than Leicester? <laughs> I think... <laughs> Chris Sutton's with, an idiot. With all due respect, I think Chris Sutton wanted some attention for that. And he's uh, got it. I think he speaks a lot of sense sometimes, but uh, there's sort of 25% of the time where he falls into that kind of Robbie Savage trap of, of saying stuff in big capital letters. And, you know... Um, uh, what was the first part of that question? My microphone is, 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 it, is it a step up, down, or sideways? Oh, I, we we we've covered this. So I, I mean, I I, I can I can, um, I can I can make the argument either way. I, I understand why he's done it. Let's just put it that way. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't upset any Celtic fans, really. Okay, fair enough. Um, I, I think it's sideways in the sense that there's not Champions League football or the possibility of Champions League football in the same way that there is for Celtic. Yeah, but the Premier League is a bigger league. Okay. All right, well, uh, given that Seb's microphone... Uh, I'm now holding it up manually. Throughout. Hey, listen, yeah. sometimes this job is hard, yeah? I know you just get to waltz in here and then leave whenever you want and leave me to do all the hard work. But... He's done this deliberately. He's rigged it up to create a little <laughs> challenge for me. It's You've like some shit version of Home Alone, isn't it? <laughs> right, okay, well, listen, uh, thank you, Seb. Thank you very much for attending. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Alex, thank you. Thank you very I, much. I was just thinking, actually, that uh, we, we moved from Watford to Everton to Leicester with quite slick connections throughout i wonder if we can think off the top of our heads of a connection that we could move to uh, next next week's team southampton yeah 
Southampton, Wolves, Fulham. Yes. I think they're, they're all quite interesting at the moment. Southampton would be good with Hazen Hurtle. We haven't really done yeah. that yeah. too much, Very have encouraging we? performance against Arsenal, even if we mm. didn't get... And I'm going to see them on Saturday as well, so that would work quite well. Oh, it looks perfect, doesn't it? Yeah. It's almost like, uh, you know... It's almost like we planned it. These teams uh, play each other regularly and... Uh, it's almost the like we have a, a, a WhatsApp group dedicated to this podcast. Mm. A new WhatsApp one. WhatsApp groups. Mm. Okay, uh, thank you very much for listening. A quick shout uh, for anyone who would like to become a TIFO Football YouTube channel member. Uh, you can click the Join button below the videos over here somewhere uh, and uh, pay uh, a sum of money once per month, which depends on where you live, to directly to our bank account for our use to buy frivolous things that we don't need. Uh, but what that does give you access to is Alex once a week, uh, although not this week, sorry, because we're busy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so good at this. That is the shittest sales pitch uh, ever. Yeah, yeah. You can get something that is of questionable value anyway, and you actually can't get it all the time. It's not of questionable value. Because the value is this. You ask him to uh, examine any kind of tactical question, team, player, manager, and he will spend about 14 minutes stood in front of a wall just over there, uh, drawing little pictures for you and uh, singing some songs. So uh, that's it. Do do give us all of your money. Thank you. And I uh, hope you uh, tune in next week for what will probably be a podcast about Southampton. The internet has changed, so should the way you bank. PNC Virtual Wallet for Digital Banking. It's time for a change. Now through March 31st, earn up to $300 when you open and use a select new virtual wallet product. Simply establish a qualifying direct deposit. To learn more, visit a branch or pnc.com slash checking offer. PNC Bank. Make today the day. Virtual Wallet is a registered trademark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association member FDIC.